This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria Tellez interviews Bhavana Gasoda. She is the author of Author of My 12 Moon Journal, a guided journal for creative self-exploration. An unexpected health crisis led Bhavana to leave her materially successful career in the technology sector in 2016. The diagnosis of Hashimoto's served as a wake-up call to an inner calling that had been brewing for several years but had gone neglected. She consolidated her global working life and settled in a small rural village in Peru with the sole aim of healing at the mind, body, and soul level. Hashimoto's compelled her to seek within and ask the question, How does my soul wish to express itself in this world? She picked up her paintbrush and the pen and began to paint and write as the two primary ways to express what is inside. While she consolidated her material life, She also consolidated the various spiritual journeys she had taken over the years and concluded that all real journeys begin and end with oneself. The inspiration in creating this journaling guidebook is rooted in her insights through the practice of cultivating self-awareness and becoming genuinely intimate with her own self. The method of self-inquiry, Who Am I?, by Ramana Maharshi, act as her guiding lamppost. Meet Bhavana at bhavanagasota.com. Here is the interview with Bhavana Gasota. In your own words, who is Bhavana Gasota? I am a little girl who used to sit on the veranda, on the railing of the veranda under uh, jasmine wine and chat with the moon from the time I remember uh, in a small town called Pune in, uh, in India. Which so is where before I we talk on. about some of the topics in your book, my 12 moon journal, a guided journal for creative self-exploration. And also, we will talk for a moment about your new book, Slow Travel, How to Live, Love, and Hack Long-Term Travel on Budget. So before we get to that, I have these uh, warm-up questions, as I mentioned off-record. The first one for you, Bhavana, is what is healing to you? And what is the connection between healing and art? Healing for me is coming back or uh, returning to a state of innocence and joy 
It is a state in which we experience how we used to be when we were children. I always like to make a comparison with uh, little children. No, they um, they are so innocent. They're full of bliss. They're full of joy. And then as time goes by, life happens. We go through different experiences. And not all experiences are always good, happy, loving, joyful. And uh, of course, that is natural because, you know, that is life. This, this is what we have to learn through our experiences in our life. And somewhere along the way, we lose that joy and the innocence of children. And to me, healing is a return to a going back or, you know, yeah, it's a return to that state of being from where we experience life as a place of wonder, uh, as a place of joy and as a gift from existence. And what was your second question? <laughs> I lost it. Yeah, <laughs> the connection between healing and art or creativity. Healing and art, um, for me, they're very, very interlinked. Um, and, uh, and for different people, they find their way back or they, they find their way of healing through different ways. So this is, art is not necessarily the only way, but this is the way I found my healing. And uh, for me, what is, how do I uh, look at art? I look at art as a form of self-expression be it writing or be it painting or it could be you know acting or whatever maybe the form sculpting it doesn't matter but creation is a process of expressing oneself and uh, in that expression it includes everything it includes your joys your sorrows your pain your loss it includes who you are in the moment and who you are in the moment as a result of everything that you have gone through in life up until that moment. It cannot be defined or separated. It's just how you are in your entire being. And when you express yourself through any form of art, it's a way of releasing those. It's a way of releasing yourself into an external form, into something, into something else, which doesn't need to be analyzed. There's no need to actually analyze it. And being an artist or, uh, you know, being a visual artist myself, what I paint is a totality of who I am at the moment. It's a form of pulling everything outside me into a canvas or a piece of paper. There is no need for an analysis. There's no need for for the questioning of, ah, oh, what does this line mean or the color mean? No, it's, it's, it's complete. It's total in its entirety. Just this form of expressing myself and releasing it outwards is by itself healing. This is where I find my healing. And so for me, art and healing are very, very interlinked. Or to take it a little bit further, not just art, but any form of creativity, you know, anything, any project or anything that engages the creative aspects is healing because, um, you know, creative creation is the most, uh, well, not the most, but it's the fundamental energy of our existence. This is how we all came into existence. So as soon as we engage ourselves in any creative activity, we're already connecting right back to that life force that brought us into this world, mm -hmm. into this existence. Um, so they link, they are very much linked together in my world. How did you become an artist? 
I think mm. we all are artists. <laughs> we, we, from the time we are born, we all are artists, you know. <laughs> so this whole idea of, oh, mm-hmm. this person is an artist mm-hmm. doesn't fit in my way of thinking mm-hmm. because I think we all are mm-hmm. artists regardless of uh, what we do. You know, life mm-hmm. itself right. is a piece of art uh, that we are constantly living. But um, to become more specific <laughs> on that, <laughs> I always used to paint as a when I was a child, you know. Uh, one of my favorite things um, to do was I used to... Um, sketch and paint mandalas when I was around six to seven years old, you know, when uh, it was the time when everybody used to sleep in the afternoon. It was siesta time from 1 to 4 p.m. And that was my time to um, get out my books and uh, watercolors and paint mandalas. And just not any specific mandalas, just anything that came to my mind. So that's actually where my journey began. And, uh, you know, I used to do that and um, I used to paint and draw and create art with just about anything that I could lay my hands on, beads or broken pieces of glass, broken pieces of bangles, feathers, mm. sand, <laughs> stones, uh, old threads, um, or, or whatever. And uh, my journey began there when I was a little girl. And then I uh, forgot about it because uh, when I was growing up in India, art was not something you do as a profession it's something you do as a hobby so you still need to have something else which is what you call your main profession so I left that aside for many many years until several years ago I started to feel something is missing in me a huge part of me is missing as I was working in my career in technology Uh, it was almost that you know my left brain got over-functional and the right brain started to die or died actually and I felt something is missing something very uh, integral is missing in me and I couldn't figure out what that was so it took quite some time to actually connect the dots all the way back to my happy place and find that I really wanted to paint again but the real sort of turn or like the tidal shift came when I was diagnosed with uh, Hashimoto's, um, the autoimmune thyroiditis, about five years ago. And I just knew at that time when my uh, doctor gave me that diagnosis and told me, oh, you're going to have to take pills for the rest of your life because it's uncurable. Um, and I had a nervous breakdown right there outside his office. Uh, it was literally a meltdown. I think I was sitting on the steps of the stairs and I was crying and other patients are going in and out and they were thinking what's wrong with her but yes it was a meltdown and I just knew that uh, this my life has to change I cannot continue doing what I was doing and I needed to stop uh, and I stopped so that's when I quit uh, my 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 career <laughs> my materially successful career in technology hacked up everything and um I just went on a healing journey and, you know, the healing journey was really, first of all, physically healing. I had to go through that because I really had an illness that I had to deal with. But this healing journey was not just physical. It was emotional. It was psychological. It made me look and search deep within into who am I and what is it that I want to be actually doing. And that's when Mm -hmm. I started painting again. It was the beginning of... uh, uh, seriously picking up the paintbrush once again and I haven't stopped since since five years um, I would have 
like to do a lot more in retrospect, <laughs> um, but we never realized that and everything has its own time and pace. So I, I surrender to that. Why in so many cultures, we are not motivated to become professional artists or to take art seriously. Do you know why? I can speak about it from the perspective of growing up in India. And uh, at the time when I was growing up in India, this was in the 80s. I was in my teens um, in the 80s. And the economic driver was uh, much stronger. I think now things have changed and shifted and I can see a lot, many more younger people diving into the fields of arts and taking that up as their as their professions, but back then that was not the case and the economic driver was the main one. If I wanted to be an independent person, there was no way I could have earned a living being an artist. And again, those are the kind of ideas and fears that people around you, uh, be it family or society, those are the kind of ideas and fears they drive into you. I can't say that that was necessarily 100% true, you know, because I was still young and I was listening to advice from people around me and what I could see around me in my limited worldview. And I took that to be true. Um, but can I say, looking back, that uh, that was necessarily the reality? I, I cannot say that. But that that is still mm-hmm. a main driver for many people. And that definitely was at that time, it's the economic driver. I cannot say much about um, other countries, though I think being an artist and earning a living is Mm -hmm. equally hard Mm -hmm. for many people uh, in many parts of the world. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. in that sense, um, it's not a unique story. I agree. um, That's interesting where you say economic drive. So the drive, it's not emotional or spiritual. It's basically survival, right? Mm. Yeah, mm. it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Or at least Let me ask you this question, yeah. Bhavana. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? Oh, that's yeah. a very interesting question. It could be yeah. answered in just um, <laughs> one word or it could be a whole yeah. uh, book about it. What is the purpose of our human uh, experience? Somewhere along these times, from the time I started um, my career in technology and then moved away from it and uh, going through various different uh, spiritual journeys with different teachers and in different modalities, uh, reading books from different wisdom teachers, you know, there's, um, as human beings, we have this thirst to know who am I, where did I come from and where am I going? I know the three primary existential questions that burn through a lot of us. And I guess my search was similar. And after having gone through this uh, journey at a point in time, um, I came to my own conclusions. And I think that's one of the things that I believe is that um, each one of us is so different and our life experiences are so different that Whatever journeys we go through and whatever insights we receive and the final conclusions we reach about our life and what's the purpose of this life, what's the purpose of this human experience is very unique to us. I I really cannot say that what applies, what my insights can apply to everyone else. They don't because 
we all just come with such unique DNA. And so I just wanted to preface that before I said anything <laughs> yeah. further, because yeah. I yeah, wanted to say that it applies yeah, to my course. own insights, right? This human experience, to me, it's about having this opportunity, whoever I am, you know, we, we can call it soul or consciousness or be completely nihilistic and say, well, there's nothing. Whichever way we uh, look at it, uh, this experience of human being, I believe that there is a there is a reason why I'm here. And the reason is to not escape life mm-hmm. and go and live in the transcendental world of that of one unity and transcendental love. My my insight and conclusion is that I'm here to live the full mm-hmm. spectrum of mm-hmm. the human experience which means all its murkiness and dirtiness and the joys and the lives and the darkness and the light, all of it, you know, right. call it the drama right. of the human experience. So um, in its entirety and take every experience and everything that life puts me in, where I have my own agency to make decisions as well, as just a very uh, intimate part of this experience and therefore uncovering a very intimate part of me, myself, and not to just limit it to just me and myself, um, but at the same time, is to, to have this aspect of giving back. And uh, um, nothing is more important in my view than uh, kindness and empathy. Um, with which we live and exist with each other. If we, if we can only, first and foremost, embrace our entirety, which means all of us, you know, all of our interiority, whatever that might be, all the darks and the lights, and instead of saying, oh, I'm not a jealous person, saying, yeah, you know, I do experience jealousy, that is part of me. If we can embrace ourselves by cultivating self-awareness, um, and then moving from there to say, yeah, I know I have this uh, real desire to go and kill that person who hurt me in a bad way, but I'm not going to do it because I know I have a choice to not act in that way. Um, to embrace ourselves in this entirety and being able to choose how I'm going to um, act in this life. And from there, once we have this place of empathy and connection, a real connection with ourselves, um, expanding that into the world to have that same level of empathy in connection with others. That's why we truly connect with each other and uh, kindness and empathy come from there. If we don't feel it for ourselves, how can we feel it for others? If we don't truly embrace the entirety of this human experience within ourselves, how can we embrace it outside so ourselves? For me, that's, that's, that's basically it. That's what this human experience purpose, meaning, whatever uh, words we may want to use, that's what it all boils down to eventually, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And I'm not seeking enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not seeking those uh, um, big, big words of, um, mm. I don't know what that means. And maybe, maybe, it, maybe it is already there, maybe it's not, but I'm just mm-hmm. a human being. So that's a normal, ordinary, mm-hmm. everyday you know, day-to-day human experience. <laughs> that sounds very enlightening <laughs> to me, <laughs> embracing that mm-hmm. unconditionally. So 
you make me think about unconditional love, loving ourselves, and then from that, connecting with others the same way. So I have a few more questions, the warm-up questions. The next one's about freedom. What is freedom to you? What is to be free? Um, my soul, my consciousness is always free and it's ever free. And yet I live in this world where I think freedom is relative. It's relative to who you ask. If you ask a child labor in the mines in Congo, freedom for that little boy or that little girl would be to escape that, that slavery and go to school. If you ask somebody who has gone way beyond that, that person will say, um, freedom for me is to uh, be with as many partners, as many love partners as I want and I wish. It's so relative. It depends on where we come from, who we are, what we have experienced in our lives. And for me, freedom, the what freedom means to me has changed over time. It has changed from what it was when I was a child and uh, growing up in India. And it has changed to what it is now. At some level, uh, I'm reminded of that book by Milan Kundera, no? The Unbearable Likeness of Being. Um, because these days, I relate to freedom as the unbearable likeness of being free. <laughs> um, because after all the freedom that I have achieved in my life to do what I want, where I want, who I want to be, and then there's the soul level freedom and then there's the transcendental freedom. I feel that uh, even freedom needs to be anchored or bounded because unless freedom is bounded, mm. we won't know what freedom is. Mm. I don't know how, how to yeah. explain this, uh, this idea that I'm trying to, that I'm experiencing is that this ultimate idea of freedom, unless there is some boundary, unless there is a boundedness, we really do not understand what freedom is. In, mm. in that sense... Um, you know, like, um, if we don't experience darkness, we won't know what love is. Or uh, if there's no night, we won't know what, what day is. In that same sense, freedom to me needs to be bounded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in order to fully understand it and to, in order to fully appreciate, appreciate it. And freedom is something that also needs to be anchored, in, uh, rooted in something. And for me, that something is is integrity. It needs to be rooted in integrity. That's what uh, freedom is all about for me now. So it's, um, yeah, the beautiful dance of this journey here, <laughs> the paradox. So one more question for you, Bhavana. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? Uh, for a new reality um, and the greatest vision for this world. You know, one of the biggest things, the biggest gifts of this time, um, that whether people see it this way or not, but one of the biggest gifts that all of us have received during this time um, is the time to be still. Because we people got shut down, people couldn't move around as much as they would normally, couldn't go to bars, couldn't go to restaurants, couldn't go dancing, couldn't socialize. We got the gift to be still for a period of time and uh, and be by ourselves more, you know. So, um, yeah, if you have a family, you're with your family, but uh, socializing, traveling, 
those other types of engagements came to a standstill. So we got these gifts of being still or relatively still and uh, being relatively more isolated. And um, I'm hoping that many people took this time to really reflect on uh, what is it that they're doing in their life and what they what do they actually need in in their lives you know do they what kind of life works can work for them do they really need everything that they think they cannot live without and uh, I hope that this period has given all of us the impetus to reflect further on the state of affairs in this world but also the state of affairs in one's own life and I, I, I think that reflecting on that is far more important because we often want to save the entire world you know, we want to fix things in the world uh, because so many things are wrong in, the, in this entire world but I think if we, if we can all just look at ourselves and um, uh, first go deeper into that and and just imagine if every single person in this world did that, then there would be no need to fix anything right. in the world at all uh, because it would automatically be taken care of. But that, that's a utopic <laughs> thought. That's, that's a utopic <laughs> thought. It's a beautiful vision, huh? It's a wonderful vision. Yeah, I think that this is... Uh, I hope people have taken the time to self-reflect. And one of the things from that that I feel that we can we can all really give it a hard look is how much do we need to live and to be happy? I think the consumption levels that we have in this world at this moment and at the individual level perhaps are not the consumption levels that we need to actually live and to be happy. I hope that that's where the reflection happens and in a new reality we can actually put this way of, this new way of thinking about living a life with less consumption into practice and um, also to really here's, here's the other thing that I think has been a gift during this time stillness spending more time by yourself and mm-hmm. reconnecting with nature I hope people got a time got the chance and the opportunity during this um, self-isolating time to connect more with nature and how much we are such an integral part of this existence, which itself is a big mystery, uh, and how much we rely on, 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 on nature for our own sustenance and our own survival. That people, all of us, can uh, think a little bit more about this and see how we can reduce our consumption patterns in the new normal um, and increase our connection to the natural world. That also makes me think about the idea of joy and happiness. Do you think that joy and happiness, they are the same thing or happiness is somehow different, a different state of being? Yeah, I know. I've I've been reading a lot about what is happiness and that happiness is not something that's derived externally. It's something that you find within yourself. And joy, yeah, for, for um, I can say with more certainty that joy is something um, that we do experience when with something that is external to ourselves. And the same with happiness. But um, I can also say that these are uh, just these are these these could just be 
inner states of being which have nothing to do with the external reality. But not many of us uh, can actually reach that state where we have uh, where we experience mm-hmm. a state of inner joy and happiness regardless of what's right. going on uh, yeah. on outside. Um, for me, a bigger uh, marker for our human experience is the level of contentment. I, I find that to be a bigger marker for anything. It's how content am I in my life? Am I content uh, in a studio apartment so long as I can paint? Or do I need a big house in order to feel content? Contentment, um, I think, breaks it down further in the, in the sense that that is truly uh, something that I find can only be derived it's only internal is is the feeling of contentment joy happiness you know um, there are external uh, impulses for those and um, somehow i tend to feel that when i'm content in myself in the way i am with what i have that uh, joy and happiness are just a natural That's, outcome. Um, an interesting perspective. I usually use the word joy for something that's internal or something that I don't even understand. When I get really excited about life and I don't know where that's coming from. I mean, I, I have an idea. It seems like it's gratitude. I'm so grateful to be alive that this light feeling just uh, takes over the body and the mind. It's amazing. And that might be connected to contentment. I love that word too. Yeah, gratitude is a big one. Um, when I think that when, when I feel, con- I, when I feel content, yeah. I also feel grateful. I feel grateful for all the opportunities I got in my life, for all the experiences I got in my life. Or is it the mm-hmm. other way around? When I feel mm-hmm. grateful, I feel content. Or when I feel content, I feel grateful. I don't, I don't no. know. Either way, they go together. No but, need yeah. to analyze um, intellectually, right? <laughs> Baban? <laughs> yes. So, true. Yes. so, how did you become a writer? Ah, yeah. Well, you know, that was also something that I used to um, really enjoy doing when I was a child. You know, in school, we used to have this... I, uh, well, I, I grew up in India, so, you know, in, we uh, used to have this thing called writing essays where we were given a topic in school and you had to write a few pages on that. And I used to love doing that. Essays, fabulous. And um, I used to love reading books. So writing has also been an equally important part of me. And I didn't give that up as much as I did with painting because I continue to write on and off all along the way, except that I didn't actually um, try to get it published or anything like that. I just wrote things. It's just a way for me to put down what I'm reflecting upon. So it is something that has always been a part of me. Yeah, except that I never tried to write for a magazine or um, or a newspaper column. Or it was just I was just not interested in that. Yeah. So. What was the inspiration, intention, and also the process of writing my 12-month journal? So, like I said um, previously in one of your warm-up questions, after going through um, several different spiritual journeys um, with different teachers, reading books, um, reading about different wisdom teachings, um, my own conclusion and insight was is to get rooted and grounded in our uh, human experience, in looking deeper within ourselves. 
Um, somewhere along the way in these uh, different journeys, you know, I, I used to have a lot of books. I still have them, but they're all packed up in boxes now. Um, I used to read a lot of books, uh, a lot of different spiritual books. And somewhere along the way in the last five years, um, I was sitting in a shamanic journey somewhere in, uh, in, in Peru. And there was this just one sort of, you know, message, so to say, that came in, came up in like big, bold letters. I would say it was like a wow. posted <laughs> with, with a message written on it in capital letters. And I just said, you know, read your mm, own book. Wow. <laughs> read your own book. You're a book by itself. And um, we all are. We are, we are. We are huge scriptures by ourselves. <laughs> we are made up of so many things. Um, and if we just start delving into ourselves and started to reflect and write about themselves, we discover a whole universe within ourselves. And I thought about making a journal because um, I felt that what I learn about myself uh, is so unique to me. Why? I don't want to generalize it and say that it could apply. This is the, this is the truth for everyone. It's not. We all have to discover ourselves, but we all struggle with the same, mm-hmm. same topics <laughs> and the same questions, yeah. you know. We struggle with the same topics. Our <laughs> answers could be different, but we struggle yeah. with the yeah. same topics, you know. Judgment and um, betrayal and fear and questioning what does it mean to be a woman, you know, intuition, um, courage, dreams, desires, erotic fantasies, pain. Grief, um, you know, anger. Uh, we all struggle with the same topics. Our answers could be different. And uh, so that's where the idea of this journal came about. Uh, is I just wanted to say, give a space to people to say, yeah, these are the topics that we all struggle with, but find yourself within this topic by reflecting and giving yourself the time and space to write about it or to draw or doodle about it. Um, so that was one part of it. Then the second part of the inspiration was that uh, um, I took so many different workshops and went for different kinds of retreats when I was uh, uh, working professionally. And, you know, I would go for a weekend retreat and be completely inspired with the practices and the tools that I got from them. And then I would be, I'm going to continue them. And then two weeks later, I'm in my working life and it's all, <laughs> you know, it just remains a plan. It slowly dwindled off. And then some time passed by and I would go for another weekend workshop or even a week-long retreat and come back fully charged and inspired. I'm going to continue with this in daily life. The drum roll takes on. And then, you know. So at some point in time, I thought, okay, if I look at all the different retreats and workshops I've done, I, I probably have hundreds of different practices that I can do. How many of them can I actually do in my life when I'm working full time? And I don't even have children. So <laughs> even taking that away from the equation, how much time do I have? And all these hundreds of different practices, which one should I even choose? And for how long should I do it for it for it to have any substantial significance or make a difference in my life? And what I was really longing for was something that I could do consistently, even if it's something small, but something to do consistently, repeatedly, 
over a long period of time. Because I think that's where the changes and dramatic shifts happen, not by doing big things, but just by doing that one small thing, but doing it over and whatever that practice is, just doing it over and over again over a sustained period of time. Even if it's just for 10 minutes a day, I think that creates a bigger shift than uh, going for, you know, one big workshop for a weekend and then not doing anything for six months and then going for another retreat for a week and then not doing anything for six months. So I was really longing for something that I could fit in my working life without without having to do a lot of things and a lot of things around it. So I wanted to keep it simple. And um, so the way I structured my 12 moon journal is there are 12 distinct sort of intentional journals within the my 12 moon journal. Each of these journal asks you to explore one topic through different ways. Um, there is a painting for each topic. There's a poetry for each topic. There are a few quotes for each topic. And then there are some prompting questions for each topic. And there is a creative fun exercise that is linked to that topic. And uh, before you start going into journaling or doodling or drawing, each uh, of these intentional moon journals um, asks you to do a very short meditation to drop into the present moment and to do a very short ritual to connect with the moon. Um, The way I look at it is that it's like a mini workshop. You don't need to go anywhere to do this workshop. You can stay at your home. All you need to do is pull out a couple of hours during a moon cycle, whether it be a full moon or a new moon, you can choose according to your desire. And then pull out these two hours, give yourself this gift of creating this time and space and uh, Dive into it. Go within yourself. Dive into it. Start with creating a simple space around yourself, a little moon ritual to connect with the moon cycle, um, a short meditation, and then dive into it. And then do it for 12 moon cycles. And if you want, you can do it for more moon cycles. But the idea is to say, make a commitment. Pick any 12 moon cycles of the year and make a commitment and do it one at a time and it's not even every day so that mm-hmm. also takes a load off you know it's just right. 12 moon cycles it just needs one once in a month or once in two weeks whichever way you choose to make a commitment to keep it simple and easy and then why moon yeah. the one thing i just yeah. want to say quickly is you know uh, all ancient cultures in, in in their beliefs there is a connection with the moon um, there's a connection with the full moon, the new moon, the tidal shifts, and the moon is such an integral part from this uh, perspective um, of even our beings. You know, it's the emotional aspect. It's sort of re- it represents the subconscious or the emotional aspects of our beings. And different ancient cultures have come up with different ways of honoring these aspects of us. Like in India, during the full moon and the um, and the new moon, we have other we have some rituals we do. If you talk, uh, if you look at the Celtic um, traditions, they have other things that they do and they associate with the moon. And I wanted to stay away from all of that because I, yeah, I, I wanted to stay away from any sort of cultural associations with the moon and and just draw out the commonality from all of that. And the commonality is we all 
experience the full moon and the new moon in different ways. And it has a certain impact on us. So just take that time to uh, dive deep and connect with yourself. And if anyone has any specific cultural or spiritual beliefs um, associated with the moon, they can always bring that in, into this time. But um, I leave that for the person to decide. Yeah, so that's where the moon comes <laughs> <about> in. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. you added. <laughs> um, yeah. So and on a technical note, talk to me about the publication of your book and why do you have the format of an e-book for this, the 12 moon journal? So being a journal, usually we have, we see that a lot in paperback, but not e-books. Yeah, this was something I really uh, was, uh, felt really interested and motivated, actually, <laughs> really motivated and inspired to actually take it out and publish it as an ebook and not just a paper book. And it's a question I've received from some other people also, but why is a journal in an ebook? Uh, you, you, you cannot write on an ebook. So what's the purpose? Even the person that I sent for formatting the ebook asked me, why do you have a journal in an ebook? Nobody's going to be able to write. <laughs> I know. <Right. laughs> I know that. <laughs> but here's what I thought. You know what happens with the paper, paper uh, journals is that there's a fixed number of pages uh, when you publish a paper journal you know so there's always a question hmm is two pages enough for uh, writing about these reflections is one page enough to write about dreams is one page enough for drawing and sketching because we are also different you know some people just want to express everything in the form of uh, doodling and writing and uh, sorry doodling and sketching and they will probably be able to write only one paragraph Whereas others just want to write and write and write and write. So I was struggling with this question when I was doing the paperback version. How many pages should I provide for this section and that section and that section? And, and then I thought, what if I just take that away from the equation and create an ebook and say, um, well, first of all, this is not an empty journal with just blank lines. There's a lot of content to it. There's a structure to it. Um, there's information in it. There's artworks in it. Uh, so I thought, what if I just say in each intentional moon journal, so all 12 of them together, put that in an ebook, and then you can follow it exactly the same way as you would in the paper journal, except that you're going to write it on your own pieces of, um, on your, in your own journal or on pieces of paper that you have or on your laptop or, you know, if you want to doodle on your iPad or on your tablet, you can doodle and sketch, draw there. Um, you're not limited anymore. So if you want to just doodle for an entire moon cycle, just doodle. If you want to write, you write. But the, but we are free to choose how we want to dive deep into the topic ourselves. So it takes away this whole limitation of how many yeah, pages yes. <laughs> is a good number of pages and and uh, you know we have our own I find that the people have their own uh, favorite uh, pages of paper mm -hmm. that they want to write on so why not just give them that freedom and uh, if somebody doesn't want to figure out where they want to write they can of course buy the paper um, back version that's always there uh, but on my website, they can go and download a PDF, uh, which is all those blank formatted pages. Then they can print it on their own printer. They can get it printed from a printer. 
it's yeah. just, it's freedom. <laughs> it's freedom. Yeah. You're free. You're free to choose how you want to write and uh, sketch and draw. That's- so that's why um, I was really um, inspired um, and motivated to create the ebook version for a journal. We have our own unique ways of expressing the feelings through journaling, like you said, our own paper even. So I agree 100% and I love the work you do. It looks so bright just by looking at it. It makes me happy. You have all these reflective prompts. The dream caught my attention. Reflect upon a dream or last night I dreamt and then da 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 and then we think about that and also reflect upon the feminine. I love that too. Self-care. For a moment, Bhavana, we're almost at the end. Talk to me about your contribution with other artists and poets and your message to them. Keep doing it. Do not give up art like I did, no matter what it is. Uh, Even if you're going to do sketch only once in a month, just do it. And it it doesn't even have to be um, anybody's main profession. You could be doing something else to fulfill your, um, you know, life obligations. You know, maybe you have family or children to take care of, you know, to fulfill your other responsibilities. I would never say give up everything and just pursue art unless that is really your, uh, unless you can really do that. You know, there's also that aspect. Um, But regardless of that, um, we must continue doing this because it's, like I said, you know, this is where we are really connecting to our soul, to our, to the, to the whole energy of creation. How can we just stop it? We, We can't. We have to continue this no matter what. It could be an engineer or, and whoever, an astronaut, <laughs> whoever, but uh, we have to continue, uh, we must continue to do whatever we can in terms of sketching, painting, writing, doodling, writing poems, you know, we, we must give life to this aspect because uh, if you just, you know, if you just look at it even from our brain point of view, any, any perspective you look at, we need this right. to balance ourselves, to balance ourselves, first of all, anyway, regardless of anything else. And we have the left brain, we have the right brain. Mm-hmm. If you think about it from a yogic perspective, we have the ida and the pingala, we have the feminine and the masculine. We have these two parts of us. And um, the quest is always to find about, to, to bring these into balance. And art is a really integral part of bringing ourselves into the balance, into a home. So we all must. I don't <laughs> see any way out. Yes. What a beautiful message and a beautiful point about balance and harmony, bringing all parts of life together. Before I ask you my final questions, I have one more about your second book or your new book, Slow Travel. So talk to me for a moment about this new work, Bhavanam. Yeah, now this is not a journal, so that's a big uh, (laughs) demarcation (laughs) right there. It's not a journal, it's actually a book book. (laughs) Very different from my 12-home journal uh, in the sense that it doesn't really prod you, you know, to go deeper with all these different topics to talk about, to to reflect upon. This book came about because uh, since the time I left India, and moved to the United States in 1995, my work life and also my own inner calling has led me to live and work in many different parts of the world for extended periods of time. And um, 
So very different from taking a week or two of holiday, going somewhere and coming back. The idea of slow travel is that you're actually living there for at least a few months and really connecting with the people, the society, the culture, the beliefs of that land. And uh, what that kind of awakens within you or what you find confronting and challenging about that. And uh, yeah, I have my own insights. I have learned a lot from my own life of living like this. But this book is really not about telling that. It's about, <laughs> it's it's actually a guidebook, but it's a pretty comprehensive guidebook. So uh, like the subtitle says, how to live, love and hack long term travel on a budget. So many people who want to jump into that kind of a life, but are not sure how to do it. So this book kind of walks them through step by step uh, into taking that leap through helping them plan, providing different resources, lots of different resources, pointing out the pitfalls and the challenges that they'll have to embrace along the way, uncertainties that will come along the way. And it includes um, all sorts of anecdotes from my own uh, life of traveling, of living and uh, uh, traveling and working in many parts of this world. You know, this little small anecdotes from our everyday life that um, yeah. are fun <laughs> and we learn something from them always. So very different book and um, I hope that uh, people like it and people, more than that, people actually, you know, change their way of thinking about travel and I hope that it inspires them to take, to make more conscious travel choices um, and I think that's also something that we have to really think about, given the time that we have gone through in this year with the coronavirus is around travel. You know, how do we travel and uh, what impact do we have on the environment, on the communities where we go to, on their cultural beliefs? How, how do we impact them and uh, how can we make more conscious travel choices? as we come along this pandemic that we have gone through and rethink travel from a holiday of a short time into mm -hmm. slow travel, mm -hmm. into conscious slow travel. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I, I do. I love that story. word, conscious, yeah. Traveling really sounds like another self-discovery journey from my own experience. So that's another healing work that you're doing, Bhavana. It is, actually. Um, and travel has also been a big part of my own um, healing journey, I would say. And and that's where I draw want to draw a difference um, that a short holiday or a vacation uh, versus a slow travel, which is vastly different. That's where the work happens. That's where you really go through um, some healing is when you are living in different places for long periods of time and experiencing life mm -hmm. in a way that you didn't know before. Could not even imagine, right? Oh, so mm -hmm. I have a few more questions before I ask them. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in one of your books? Um, <laughs> oh, wow. To be honest, I don't have them in front of me right now. Yeah. Can you give me a moment? Yes, Can I just absolutely. go get my laptop? Yes. Hold on. 
Um, because it's a journal, there really isn't a passage to read from here. I can read a poetry yeah. from this journal. And that's one of the other unique things about this journal is that uh, the artwork and the poetry in this journal, it's a contribution from eight different women from around the world. So it's not just my artwork or my poetry. Okay, yeah, here's, um, here's one that's called uh, Prakriti. And Prakriti is a Sanskrit word. Um, it it means um, it's first of all it's really difficult to find an exact translation mm. from Sanskrit mm. to English so yeah. no matter <laughs> what way I translate it it's still not going to rip, not going to you know explain it in its entirety um, but prakriti um, is similar to nature to the natural state of being and um, in that spiritual uh, belief um, everything is a play of the masculine and the feminine and prakriti is the feminine force of nature so it says she knows her strength but she chooses to be gentle don't mistake her fire burns in her belly deep and rumbling water flows through her body as blood her body is made of earth rich and sustaining while her breath rides on the wings of a condor. She cried many tears for us, silent and loud, softening her to our pain. But she continues, as she always has and always will, to murmur soft lullabies while we sleep. She continues to do what she must to create, to feel, to forgive, to sustain, to nurture, to love, to regenerate again and again, despite the scars on her body, with her gentle strength. Oh, I love us. that. It can be felt. Thank, Thank you, Bhavana. And my final question to you, if you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? No, not really. <laughs> no. No, I I mm. no. And my last question is what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? I'm sure that we are all born. <laughs> I'm sure we are all going to die. And I'm sure that everything in between these two states is up to us to create yeah. what we want. <laughs> The dance. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, that's actually all that I'm sure about. Wow. <laughs> we are born, yeah. we're going to die, and in between right. is our time. And what a dance. dance. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for your wisdom, your lovely, beautiful wisdom, your art, your mission, your message in this reality for us here. That was profound. I absolutely love everything that you're doing and the why you're doing it too. <laughs> so I do have one last question. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? As of now, I'm really bad at uh, mm -hmm. this whole social media thing. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> as of now, everything about me can be found on my website, which is www.bhavanagesota.com. 
Wonderful. I'll have the link down below too in a written form. Thank you so much again, Bhavana, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Valeria. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. And uh, and yeah, look yeah, forward to I'll listening to it. Now. Bye for now. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Bhavana Gesota and her work, please visit bhavanagesota.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.